Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hi, I'm Madigan, and you're listening to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, a podcast that explores the world through a personal feminist perspective. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another mini episode. I am recording this so very late at night, but luckily I am here with my glass of wine. I'm sitting with my notes. I did have a very wonderful day. I have been taking care of another new little girl lately. She's three years old, and she's actually one of Wilder's buddies, and it's been so much fun spending time with her, and she's just the most like snuggliest bug that you've ever met, and so I had so many cuddles today and sang lots of Disney songs, and it was just wonderful, uh, except for her screaming her head off for 10 minutes when I couldn't find the iPad and was trying to put her down for a nap, and she wanted to listen to the soundtrack of Frozen as she fell asleep. But that was then followed by a solid, like, two-ish hours of her sleeping, which she doesn't always do, so wonderful. I also got to talk to my mom on the phone a little bit today, and not to embarrass you, mom, but she is so adorable. She is dating somebody, and I don't know if I've talked about this on the show before. It's so funny. She's been like dating long distance my old skating coach's dad. It's really bizarre. I've known the guy since I was like 12. Not well, but like he was around and I'm really, really close to my former coach, Kim. And we were so, so close when I was young as well. And my mom is very close to her and her kids and took care of the kids a lot when they were younger. So it, it really fits really, really well. The only concern I have is that the man is conservative, but my mom is also from the generation where they just don't really talk about that kind of stuff, and it's kind of like an out-of-sight, out-of-mind situation, so she's been calling me like she's a teenager asking me advice on things, and it's so sweet. I really do love it so much. It's something that I really, I almost wish I could have gone through this with her when I was a little bit younger, when I was dating. I don't know, but I feel like now I'm able to give better advice than I would have when I was young and going through the dating scene myself. So I love that the roles have kind of reversed and I can be her sounding board through, you know, her dating situations and things like that. So that just warms my heart. And I love you so much, mom. I know you're listening. You always do. So as far as the news goes this week, the main topic that I want to discuss are the anti-trans bills. And I will mention this somewhere in the episode down the line, but I did the bulk of my notes just in a notebook when I was at work while the little one was taking a nap. And right before I left, I opened up Instagram and I noticed that there had been some breaking news in this category. So I'm going to get into that as well. Across the country, at least 150 bills have been filed by Republican legislators targeting transgender Americans. Roughly 100 of those bills specifically restrict doctors and other providers from offering transition-related health care for minors. More than 80 bills seeking to restrict access to gender-affirming care have been introduced around the country through the beginning of the year to February 9th. 
At least four states saw bills introduced this session that would restrict such care for those over the age of 18, including at least two states where proposed bans covered people under the age of 26. Catherine Oakley, state legislative director and senior counsel for the Human Rights Campaign, said, It's really, I think, a big but important, notable moment that they're no longer pretending that this is about caring about young folks and making it very clear that all they really want to do is prevent trans folks from being able to receive medically necessary, life-saving care, basically at any age. Last month, Utah became the first state this year to enact a ban on gender-affirming care for trans youth. A bill in Kansas, my mom's now home state, would prohibit medical professionals from knowingly performing or causing to be performed gender-affirming care on anyone under the age of 21 and would make violations of the ban a felony under state law. The bill, however, does make some exceptions, including in the case of someone born intersex. Two nearly identical laws in South Carolina and Oklahoma go a step further, providing that a physician or other healthcare professional shall not provide gender transition procedures to anyone under the age of 26, claiming that a person's brain isn't fully developed until they're in their mid-20s, so someone must be fully, fully developed in order to make a decision or not if they're going to go through any form of transition, you know, whether it be in the form of surgery or whether whether it be some sort of medical treatment to help support transition. That's ridiculous to me, especially when we have a drinking age of 21. Why would we think that people who are drunk at 21 would make better decisions than sober transgender people at 26? Where's the logic there? Medical professionals convicted of violating the act would be guilty of a felony, with the conviction in Oklahoma carrying a maximum sentence of five years in prison. The bills also prohibit public funds from being used directly or indirectly at organizations that provide such care. The bill's sponsor, Oklahoma GOP State Senator David Bullard, said in a statement, Surgical and chemical genital mutilation has been occurring in our great state, and it must be stopped. Go actually fuck yourselves, because if you actually cared about genital mutilation, there would be a lot of other cases that you would be touching first before you would be harming the LGBTQ plus community. And the fact that these people know so little about any of the science involved in any of this is absolutely shocking to me. We need to stop letting cis white men run our government like fucking enough. Bullard's bill was later gutted by a Senate committee, with the changes removing the ban on care, but maintaining the public funds prohibition. And then this is where I write, breaking news. So when I opened up Instagram, the first post I saw was that Tennessee Governor Bill Lee today signed a law totally banning gender-affirming health care for trans children. This bans medications such as puberty blockers and hormone treatments for any underlying gender dysphoria case. Gender-affirming surgeries, which are rare in Tennessee, are also banned. He also signed off on a new law to prohibit adult-oriented entertainment, which includes male and female impersonators from public property and age-limited to age-restricted venues. North Dakota has also recently advanced a bill that would criminalize performing drag in front of minors or in public spaces. Other bills have popped up in Texas, West Virginia, Nebraska, and South Carolina as well. Many of the bills are also broad in scope and would effectively restrict drag show performances. 
It may seem like a little thing right now, but because what they're saying is so vague, I feel like that there's a lot of other restrictions that could easily be added onto this in the future that could really, really harm these performers. Many would limit where drag shows can be held, recategorize them as akin to strip shows, and ban the use of state funds, including those given to a nonprofit to go toward them. Conservative media and Republican lawmakers have claimed that their opposition to drag shows is about protecting the children, and that by allowing minors to go to these shows, the liberal left is grooming them to be gay and liberal. Oh no! Texas State Representative Nate Schatzlein introduced a bill that defines a drag performance as when, quote, a performer exhibits a gender identity that is different than the performer's gender assigned at birth. In an interview with NPR, he described children witnessing drag shows, which he referred to as indecent exposure, as a slippery slope to the eventual legalization of pedophilia. And this literally makes my head explode and it makes me want to actually punch my computer. I hate this long-standing idea of tying gayness to pedophilia. It is such a long, tired, overused excuse that these people are making that is absolutely inaccurate. And I have now decided that we are going to cover a lot of this bullshit during Pride Month because it's fucking important. But however, this story has a twist. Some media is claiming that Nate Schatzlein had done drag in the past, but I think categorizing what he's done as drag would be offensive to the entire drag community. Sashay away. He is seen in a video from when he attended some Christian college as an undergrad with his classmates for some project. In it, Nate can be seen wearing a little black dress and a red masquerade mask, performing a skit to the song Sexy Lady by Javi Mula. Though he argues that drag is sexual in nature, he has defended his own gender-bending performance as a joke. He tweeted a reply to the video saying, Y'all really going crazy over me wearing a dress as a joke back in school for a theater project? Yeah, that's not a sexually explicit drag show. LOL. Y'all will twist anything. Also, he said, yeah, like, Y-A-H. I don't know why. That just really bothers me. You're supposed to be like a professional, dude. Tennessee Senate Majority Leader Jack Johnson, the drafter of the state's drag show Bill, told NPR in a statement, just as current law prohibits strip clubs from admitting children, this legislation would also prohibit sexually suggestive drag shows from being performed on public property or on any non-age-restricted private property where a minor could be present. This is a common-sense measure that has broad support from Tennessee. Go fuck yourself. I'm sorry, I keep saying things like that, but this makes me so angry. So I mentioned this guy a little bit earlier on when talking about Tennessee. Earlier in the week, a photo emerged of Tennessee Governor Bill Lee dressed as a woman in high school, which was laughed off as a lighthearted school tradition. These legislators are so unbelievably hypocritical, I cannot believe it. The only reason that they have had any success is because they've led with the whole save the children nonsense that people have been brainwashed to buy into and block out all the other bullshit. Protests have been popping up to advocate against many of the bans nationwide affecting drag performances. 
to protect those who are protesting the passing of these bills. A group of MMA fighters from West Virginia have begun offering security service to a local drag show after it was canceled for receiving threats. The place is called Primonte Bros Restaurant in Wheeling, and MMA coach John Hot, John Hot, Hot, H A U T, I like hot because I feel like this is kind of hot, and his trainees have their backs. Hottie John says, I volunteer myself and my fighters to stand guard so that people can do exactly what they want to do. The drag show is no more offensive than a Broadway show or a stand-up comedy show. In essence, it's a mix of both. He added, at the end of the day, it's entertainment, not part of some hidden agenda like some would have you believe. Now that, my friends, is some positive masculinity. All right, let's take a quick commercial break. I'll see you in a bit. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Oh my God, I'm back. Did you miss me? (laughs) So the next thing I want to talk about is a deep dive that I went down into a little bit today because I haven't heard much about this show. I kind of have my head under the ground and a lot of pop culture stuff going on right now because... I've just been working nonstop. That's all I do. Um, But I went on kind of a dive today learning about this new HBO show, God knows when it's even going to come out, called The Idol and all of the controversy surrounding it. And it literally made my blood boil. So join me in the anger, will you? There was an article in Rolling Stone that came out on Wednesday describing the toxic nature of the series and the creation of it. The article begins, Lily Rose Depp as a glamorous, troubled pop star, The Weeknd as a slimy modern cult leader, and an in-demand director, Sam Levinson, at the helm. 
For months, the hype machine has been at full tilt for HBO's upcoming series, The Idol, which is being billed as a darker, crazier, and more risque version of Levinson's smash hit, Euphoria. And with that, I'm already terrified. I tried watching Euphoria during the pandemic, and granted, my mental state was already not at its best, um, but it took me to some dark places, so I was like, I need to not watch this show. It was very triggering to me. HBO stated that Abel, or The Weeknd, and Levinson are the sick and twisted minds behind the sleaziest love story in all of Hollywood. That's how HBO is promoting the thing. The series follows Jocelyn, a budding pop star, as she navigates the seedy underbelly of the music industry and falls under the spell of Tedros, a mysterious owner of a popular nightclub in LA who is secretly a cult leader a la Nexium and Scientology. Gonna plug the episode that I did with India where I interviewed her right now. Go listen to it if you haven't. Love her so much. Of those who worked on the production's first iteration, many say they were fans of the original script, describing it as a layered narrative that was driving home a message about the trappings and exploitations of fame. One crew member described having their choice of several other prominent opportunities and signing on for Idol purely because they liked the story so much. HBO responded by saying the idol was set to have a major creative overhaul and would be adjusting the cast and crew. And there was little explanation for the changes, except for The Weeknd saying that he felt the show was heading too much into a female perspective. Fuck you, dude. Rolling Stone interviewed 13 casting crew members of the show. There was the first sign of trouble last April when the initial director of the series, Amy Simitz, suddenly exited with about 80% of the series completed. They say that without Simitz, Levinson had the freedom to dial up the disturbing sexual content of the show's overarching message, making the sexual content and nudity so intense that they're claiming it will surpass these categories from Euphoria. Four sources told the publication that Levinson made the story less about a troubled starlet falling victim to a predatory industry figure and fighting to reclaim her own agency. It became a more degrading love story with a hollow message that many crew members described as offensive. One production member said, It was like any rape fantasy that any toxic man would have in the show, and then the woman comes back for more because it makes her music better. Uh, what? Instead of responding directly to Rolling Stone's request for a response, The Weeknd posted a clip from the show and captioned it, Rolling Stone, did we upset you? Lily Rose Depp has called Levinson the best director and said that she felt supported and respected in the process of creating the series. I am glad that she spoke out, but this still seems not great. The Idol was dreamed up by The Weeknd, his producing partner Reza Fahim, and Levinson, with all three credited as writers. Reportedly, The Weeknd was not happy with the focus of the series being on Lily Rose Depp's character, and a source has said that he was the reason behind so many of the tone changes and the cult aspect of the storyline to pivot into something else entirely. I read about some really troubling story ideas, most of which never ended up being filmed, but they made me incredibly uncomfortable and angry that someone would ever want to film what I read and then put that on television for the general public to consume and not have to go to a graphic website. I also watched one of the teasers for the show, and I can tell you right now that I will not be watching it. Just the two-minute video I watched and the content I read about today, I was triggered enough. 
I feel like, and I also think that a lot of the sources for this article would agree with me, that this story seems to have no message. I hate to think of a story that has been compared to Nexium in particular, since I've now become really close with someone who experienced its horrors, and having it be shown as something that's positive. It doesn't seem like they're showing the young pop star as being groomed and psychologically manipulated, but coming back for more abuse because it will make her more successful trying to make her appear to be complicit in her own abuse, and I can't tolerate that. It's a sick, twisted message that has no use existing in a post-Me Too era in a time when sexual assault and rape is still not taken seriously from women, with many people using the defense, she wanted it, which is essentially the only message I see from this show, and in a time when dangerous men are continuing to rise to power as women, people of color, the LGBTQIA community, and other minorities continue to lose their rights and risk their lives and safety due to the horrid decisions of men like the main character of this show. Fuck it all. <sighs> okay, man, I was really angry for all of that. I wasn't anticipating the anger to rise up in me so much again. But if you have anything to say in response, I would actually really, really love to hear what you have to say. So please message me on Instagram if you would like. DM me at angry neighborhood feminist or email me at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com. I want to give a huge reminder, since I didn't do it at the top, there has been another Angry Feminist Book Club episode released. I published it Wednesday evening, and it is the second and final episode that will be covering Barracoon, the story of The Last Black Cargo by Zora Neale Hurston. I am so glad to be done with the story for so many reasons, because I've been working on it for so long, and it is a devastating read. It's tough, but I really have enjoyed everything that I've learned through my experience, not just reading the book, but through my research in the making of the book and about its author, so on and so forth. It was really, really a valuable experience. And I mentioned this in the episode, but truly it was one of the most important books that I've ever read. But I am very excited to move on to Women Talking by Miriam Taves. So if you want to join in on the fun, please join me at patreon.com slash angry neighborhood feminist. There is also a link in the bio on Instagram. And if you want to scroll into those show notes, you can find it there as well. We got so many options for you here. Besides Patreon, if you haven't given the show a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, I would really greatly appreciate that. And if you left a little sentence about why you enjoyed the show, I would love you even more. I've gotten a couple really sweet, short, beautiful reviews lately that have been so touching. It's, it's really so nice to see the responses to the show since I've been doing it on my own. It's both very encouraging and it helps me see what you want to hear more of, you know, it's it's really, really a wonderful barometer for me as well. Um, if you listen on Spotify, you can also rate the show there and I would greatly appreciate it. <sighs> all right. I am absolutely pooped. So I'm going to get going. That is all I have for you today. With all of that being said, I encourage you to rage on. Bye. If you had the chance to sit down and speak with the smartest robot in the world, would you? Spark Hunter, a new fighter steel production presented by Realm, explores what that kind of conversation might look like. It's 2044, 
The world's most advanced AI has gone rogue, and only her maker knows the true danger she poses to the world. When they meet over dinner, the NSA and the president are listening in, and sharpshooters are in position. The robot is having a dark existential crisis. To protect his deep secret, did her brilliant maker create the problem that now threatens the world? A conflict-filled psychological thriller set in the near future, Spark Hunter pits a beautiful robot that's becoming more intelligent, more human, and more difficult to control against the institutions who are determined to decommission her. It's a creative take on the real questions our world has about advancements in artificial intelligence and features a star-studded cast, including Mark Rylance, Rebecca Ferguson, Elliot Sumner, Vanessa Redgrave, and Richard E. Grant, with Charles Dance and Sting. Listen and subscribe to Spark Hunter wherever you get your podcasts, or visit realm.fm for more information.